And off we go on a Monday at 12.09. Scott Warris, Eric Bilstad, Kyle Pachinski producing. Jeff Wagner is off this week in places warmer than it is here with a lot less snow. So hope he has fun. 30 degrees right now. As you said, Eric, right before the newscast with Steve, you have reached your tipping point yep. of the winter. I'm done. It was yesterday's snowfall that pushed you over the you edge? You know what? It wasn't even yesterday. That was fine yesterday. Went out and cleared a couple of times. It was this morning, waking up and finding the same amount of snow still on my driveway and a wall at the end of the driveway from the plow, of course, which is what they do. I get it. That's when I, was, that's, that's when I had it. Are your that's... kids old enough to start doing Oh, yeah, they do. Some they of that? help with that, yep. <laughs> that was enough for me. You could though. get him up early and say, well, hey, guys, why don't you help yeah. out dad and mom a little bit? Yeah, you know, I, I'm not there yet. I thought about it, but it just hasn't It hasn't really been that much of a bother to me. I'm not a homeowner, so I don't have to handle any of it. I've got a, you know, apartment complex. They they do that for you. But, <laughs> that so must be right. That might have a role. I, I just, I don't know. But I'm getting close. But we've got to be nearing the end of, of a lot of this, right? No, no. we still have more snow coming Wednesday. Right, we have fine. more snow coming through the weekend. It's not even March yet. You're right. That's true. Um, Good Friday snowfall scheduled, probably. Cinco de Mayo snow. <laughs> yeah. It's brutal. Okay, enough of the weather. Let's uh, let's dive into some of this here. This is what I'd like to do over the next three hours. We're with you, of course, until 3 o'clock. 2 o'clock hour. I want to talk about, it is President's Day. I want to talk about presidencies. And I'm curious to learn and talk and discuss about what are the characteristics, what are the traits that we as Americans want from our leaders, presidents specifically, and are we more or less not usually, (laughs) we're usually let down by those aspirations, by those desires for our leaders to have a certain number of characteristics. Do we ever get there? And specifically, the morality of a president. Is it wise for us to want some sort of moral compass out of the man or one day woman, I think? That is the leader of the free world. Anyway, that is the two o'clock hour. And before you start, well, you're clearly looking to make a larger point with President Donald Trump and things of that. So maybe. I don't even know that I am. I'm just, I'm really interested in, in how we decide the traits and the characteristics of a person separate from the policies and the platforms and the, well, he's got an R or a D after his name, so I've got to vote for him. I'm just curious in, in how we think, and maybe it is changing. Maybe we, we want something out of a president now in the 21st century, two decades in, that we really maybe weren't so interested in a century ago. Do you think the next president, whenever the next president comes, will be unbelievably boring? It is really funny you say that. Kyle and I, we were having that very same conversation before the show. And I don't know. I I think you'll either have a president who... Working off this template. <laughs> right. Either is completely boring or back to the norms of prior presidents, you know, that, that are a little bit more traditional, shall we say, and sure. how they go about things. Sure. Or has President Trump altered certain norms, then they are no longer the norms of president's gone by that that, it, that the the position is just now fundamentally and forever changed the mold has been cast and different it, it, that that we could dive into that as well that is very interesting but first there is a question and it does pertain to president donald trump and and i i 
I keep coming back to this question as we have watched the entire battle over, uh, you know, first of all, the, the battle to end the government shutdown and the battle to avoid the government shutdown and now the battle over the national emergency declaration and uh, the fact that the president is going about this route for the money the $5.7 billion or the rest of the money outside of what was negotiated upon to, for the latest continuing resolution to get the southern border wall. And my simple question, and, and maybe it is really a dumb, rudimentary question, but I, I genuinely am curious in the answer. What do Trump supporters, Trump voters, what do Republicans who support this president what do you make of the promise that Mexico would pay for the wall? And I'm not, I'm, again, I'm not looking to be a, a, a wise aleck here. I'm not looking to make a greater point. I just genuinely want to know, did you believe that originally? Do you see it now as a broken campaign promise? And if so, does this not go down as the mother of all broken campaign promises there was a point in time where if i said name the most famous campaign promise that ultimately was broken you would say what what's the first one that comes to your mind broken campaign promise uh president obama wanting to shut down guantanamo bay oh okay i was gonna say read my lips no new taxes oh yes h-dub h-dub but again that was said at the convention one time i don't I'm I'm pretty sure well, I'll be proven wrong now. I I don't I've never seen or heard a tape of HW saying read my lips no new taxes other than that one time at the convention, right? Obviously he he went back on that promise didn't he and as he even said it likely cost him a re-election bid. So other than that was it just a campaign promise that was broken? Do you even care that it was broken if you see it that way? Is it just a matter of, however, the means to get to the end, I'm okay with it. Well, how many people vote on policy? You know, that everyone always talks about tribalism, and you're voting for a letter. How many are voting on policy anymore? Now, obviously, there are some intelligent voters who think clearly on that aspect, right? They think, well, no, this is, I want to go this way because of that, or I want to go that way because of this. Mm-hmm. But how many don't do that? How many aren't voting on policy? They're just voting on Jersey, if you will. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Oh. I don't know that. <laughs> you was, get that on the text line? Was, was that, yeah, that's a couple people. 262414 is coming through. Was that a campaign promise, though, by President Obama? Or wh- I thought he that was. He said on ju- the campaign trail, didn't he? Well, I, I just thought that that was part of the ramp up to the. He was already in office, and then when he started working on uh, the Obamacare plan, that, that, hmm. that was part of the campaign for Obamacare, but it wasn't part of his campaign for president um at any rate 414 and you, you can look you can dive in with something that was also a, an epic campaign promise fail uh, 414-799-1620 414-799-1620 on the acunet mortgage talk and text line but quite genuinely for those and, and maybe you feel maybe you feel ripped off Maybe you feel, you know what, I believed him when he said that Mexico would pay for the wall, and now I feel robbed of that campaign promise. I, I just, I'm, that question, that chant, 
that line, and it was used at rallies after. It echoes through my mind as I, as I watch and have, have listened to all this over the last weeks and months, let alone Friday alone, have watched and all of this unfold. I just keep coming back to the question, how do Trump supporters, how do the supporters of this president who voted for him in 2016, how do you feel about the fact that, make no mistake about it, we, the American taxpayer, are paying for this wall, provided this national emergency declaration passes legal muster, gets through all the courts, gets all the way um, to fruition. We are paying for it. Make no mistake about it. How do you feel about the Mexico will pay for the wall promise? Did you see it as a promise or did you see it as something that would simply be thrown away eventually anyway? 414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This week's Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase is brought to you by Outdoor Living Unlimited, extending your house into your yard with patios, decks, fire pits, outdoor kitchens, and lots of other great ideas for the ultimate backyard. OutdoorLivingUnlimited.com 1220. Jeff Wagner is off all this week. I'm Scott Warris. He is Eric Bilstad. And I'm asking the question, and I... I don't have any uh, you know, ulterior motives to this question other than purely curious as to the answer. If you voted for President Donald Trump, how do you now view the one-time promise that Mexico would pay for the border wall? Never mind whether or not you think the wall is going to happen. Just that you can't mistake that line that was used ad nauseum during the campaign, right? Well, provided this... National emergency goes through. This declaration passes all the different legal challenges that are set to face it. $5.7 billion, if that's the ultimate number, and a portion of that was agreed to in this most recent uh, continuing resolution. So it wouldn't be the full 5.7 that he's asking for in the national emergency declaration. But in the end, it all adds up. We're paying for that, right? I mean... That there really should be no argument as to that. Um, so, what do you think? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty Acun and Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just want to know how you feel about that promise. Do you feel robbed? Was he lying? Was it just a promise that we don't believe in anyway? And so you just go, well, forget it. I don't buy politicians spouting off during the campaign anyway. Well, did you ever believe it anyway to start with when you heard it the first time? Right, so then are you just saying, so I told you so? Are you playing the told you so card with your friends and whatnot, saying, <laughs> I told you Mexico wasn't going to pay for the wall? Uh, a couple of texts here as uh, Kyle lines up the phones. Tony, Southside, writes in, It does not matter to me that we are paying for the wall. There was already walls there and parts already, and we paid for those then, so there is no difference. Hmm. Uh, let's see. From the... 414, anyone paying attention in 2015 or earlier could tell you that Donald Trump is a lying con man. No one should be surprised by his behavior while he has been president of the United States. Okay. Another from the 414, I would rather pay for the wall than all the illegals that are here and the ones that are coming over. I think we need to stop giving out the freebies to all of them and maybe they won't come here and we'll leave. 
I'm tired of paying for them with my tax dollars. We need to help. We need to help all people that are here legally build that wall. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's uh, start on the phones with Chester in Milwaukee. Hey, Chester. Good afternoon. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. So, what do you make of the Mexico will pay for it promise during that campaign? Well, I think it was an outright lie. One, you cannot force a supreme leader of another nation to do something um, without their agreement. He met with the president of Mexico, and the president of Mexico boldly stated, "I will. our country will not be paying for the wall. And I understand some of the callers are calling in saying, we support the wall, the wall should be built. That's a whole different issue. We're talking about honesty. We're talking about a man that made a promise on the campaign trail. Yes, he's fulfilling the promise to build the wall, but he's not fulfilling the promise as to who's paying for it. And I, I, I mentioned earlier, if we're going to expect honesty out of our, out of our school teachers, if we're going to expect honesty out of our police force, if we're going to expect honesty out of our judicial system, why in the world would we as Americans not expect honesty out of a man sitting in the highest office of these United States who's setting policy and principles? I know he's a, you know, one of the ladies said he's a, he's a known liar. It didn't, it didn't surprise us. Does that mean we just sit back and accept it? I voted for him, but I am let down. Hmm. that we're, we're going to end up paying for this thing. Is it needed? That's a whole different topic. Sure. But the man lied. You're, you're right. Okay, so Chester, so you are a great start to the topic. So you voted for, uh, for, for Donald Trump for president. When you, heard, yes, yep, when you heard the Mexico will pay for the wall, how did you take that promise as, as legitimate as it's never going to happen, it's just a campaign line that he's using? Or how, how did you kind of digest that uh, mantra? Uh, my feeling is this. Donald Trump knows, to some extent, what the people want to hear. And sadly, we're stupid enough to listen to what men say. And I voted for the less of two evils, I'll be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton's probably a bigger liar than he is. But the, so, the sad fact is, we... Right, Chester, so I, yeah, I, I got to move on here, but I just want to clarify. So you voted for him, but yes. you were very skeptical of the Mexico will pay for the wall line the entire way. I knew they wouldn't pay for it. Got it. So when they start playing the campaign ads, it's going to be a little while yet. But when we start seeing the Democrats yeah, like play... like two weeks the, from now. <laughs> yeah, a little while, like next tomorrow. When they start playing those ads, yeah. do they use that line? Does that become part of the strategy, the campaign strategy I, against the president? Do you play I, him saying Mexico pays for the wall? I would. See, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's a good strategy. Thanks for the call, Chester. I, I appreciate it very much. I, I wonder if that's the right strategy to play it. 414-799-1620 on the Acadian Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How do you view, now in hindsight, the Mexico will pay for the wall campaign slogan and that promise? We're not debating whether or not you think the wall should be built. We're simply discussing, and I want to get your reaction especially for those of you who voted for the president, and even if you still support him, even if, even if you don't, that it doesn't matter. I just want to know at the time, how did you view that, and how do you view that now? 1226 WTMJ. Real quickly here, let's squeeze one more in before we got to go to the news. Gary and Racine, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Gary. Yes. Um, I voted for Trump, but not specifically for the wall, 
Um, I, I, I am looking at the fact that I would like to see a wall, but it could be done very easily. The, the crossings at the border could be basically, you could have a toll of 20 bucks ahead, semis coming through, so much an axle, and the Mexican crossings would okay, be Gary, I, Gary, 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 yep, let me let me just interject because I, I want to focus on the, the question as to when you heard uh, the uh, well, then candidate Trump say Mexico will pay for the wall. When yep. you heard that during the campaign at, you know, all the time, basically, how did you interpret that? Did you believe it? Did you just see it as a campaign promise? And now how do you view it in hindsight, Gary? I view it as a campaign promise. uh Basically, with uh, not too much chance of, of uh, it ever coming together. Hmm. So you don't feel, I put words in your mouth, do you feel at all disenfranchised because of that, misled because of that, or is it just... No, you, you... no not at all. Why not? You look at the politicians on and on and on, they make lots of promises, mm-hmm. and even if even if they have that in mind, they can't make all those promises come uh, to fruition for a lot of different things, and much of it is basically cost. Okay, I appreciate the call, Gary, and and that is what uh, that's what we're discussing. So, was it just well another campaign promise, and you can't put too much stock in any campaign promises because of the overall skepticism we have of them in the first place? That could be a valid answer. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We will keep this going. On the text line, there are several of you that are referencing the fact that the new trade agreement, the proposed United States, Mexico, Canada trade agreement, that is, um, if the president gets it, ultimately will replace NAFTA, that, in essence, will generate the money through trade from Mexico that, if you you know reroute it and roundabout it, that will be Mexico paying the 5.7 for the wall. That is not true. That is not true. We'll explain. We'll go into that a little bit. That has been debunked. That is flat out not the case, and that's important to address as well, because I think it is definitely out there that the trade will, this trade deal will get us, in essence, Mexico to pay for the wall. We'll address that. We'll get to the phones again as well after the news with Eric, which is up right now on WTMJ. WTMJ Good Karma Brands and Versity Blood Center of Wisconsin need your help for the Good Karma Blood Drive at the Milwaukee County Zoo. It's February 26th. Stop by 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. to give blood, save a life. There will be food and parking for all donors. Plus, you'll also go home with a mystery bag and a ticket to a Brewers game. Got me right there. You had me at Brewers Game. For more information, go to WTMJ.com or text the word BLOOD, B-L-O-O-D, 414-799-1620. Scott Warris, Eric Bilstad, Jeff Wagner is off and asking all of you a question that I have been wondering for a while now. For people who voted for President Trump, how do you now view the promise, pledge, fill in the term, <laughs> that Mexico would pay for the wall. A lot of good calls. Let's get to it. Uh, I've talked enough. Let's talk to you. Denise in Muskego, you're up. Hey, Denise, you're on WTMJ. Hello. So, so I did vote for Trump reluctantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm now actually a big Trump supporter mm-hmm. after getting to watch him, what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, when he said Mexico will pay for it, I, I never believed it. I thought he was either naive or stupid, honestly. 
I don't I don't see it as a failed issue. I I see it as a mistake. He didn't even need to say that. Honestly, people just want the wall. You know. I Why do you think he I, said that? Why do you think? He said that part. Couldn't he have just said, build that wall, build that wall, and, and he yeah, used I, that I, as the I, chant? I have absolutely no idea why he had to take it to the next level. It's kind of, um, he does things hugely, I guess you would mm. say, as, as words he uses. I think he takes stuff one step too far quite often to make his point. I don't think he truly believed Mexico would ever build that wall. I mean, would, would they write the check? No. You know, it's, um, to me, anybody who believed he, that Mexico would build the wall, really was fooling themselves i it just doesn't make sense hmm. thanks for the call denise and i appreciate your candor very much gary in sussex good afternoon gary you're on wtmj hey thanks for taking my call mm-hmm. um i voted for donald trump i was very excited uh i know that when he said that he's gonna build that wall i think every intention that he had was to build that wall i think he's an honorable person because he's putting his presidency on the line and so I would say that he kept his his uh, promise to build well, a wall. Okay, but but the the paying of the wall more so than the actual construction. Let's put the construction of the wall aside. The financing of the wall. How do you perceive that promise that Mexico would do it? And uh, Mexico is not going to be paying for the wall if and when it it does come to fruition. How do you view that now in hindsight? Well, the thing is, you know, I I didn't really believe that that they were going to go send us a check for, you know, $50 billion to, to build a wall for 720 miles. I didn't really believe that. I didn't know what, exactly what he had in mind, how he was going to uh, circumvent this and maneuver to do this. So mm-hmm. I really don't know, I, and, you know, but he's doing his best. And I give him credit for that because I believe that this is, this is going to be a legacy for him. Whether he's going to, if he makes it, he's going to go down as one of the greatest presidents in history. So, Gary, do you, if, if Mexico, when it's all said and done, and it doesn't look good, if, if, if we taxpayers end up paying for the wall, the barrier, the fence, whatever it ends up being, does that bother you at all that we, the taxpayers, ended up doing that? No, because this is protecting our sovereign country. We have to have walls. I am not against uh, immigration at all. I, I'm absolutely fine. I had some... So uh, uh, I went out there and I built a shop. I had, I went out and I got bids for everybody. I had a guy that's from Mexico come in and give me a bid. Uh, his bid was actually wasn't the cheapest bid, and I ended up picking him. He 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 was sure. a legal citizen, and he uh, had the, you know. It's his I got you, Gary. Get, get, I'm, I'm, I got a lot of calls to get to. I appreciate the call, Gary, very much. And you you answered the question the, again. The specific. The uh, the specific point that we're just discussing here is how do Americans feel, especially Americans who voted for the president, uh, how do you feel about the promise that he made? I, I viewed it as a campaign promise. Was I skeptical of it? Did I believe it? Yes, I was skeptical. No, I didn't believe it. But that aside, the promise was made that Mexico would pay for the wall. That is clearly not the case. And... For those who either believed it or voted for him, how do you feel now in hindsight? I'm just uh, fascinated by this. Is it just a throwaway campaign promise? And ah, you know what? That happens all the time in campaigns. Lewis on the south side. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Lewis. Hi. Uh, good topic. Uh, when I first called up, um, I told your producer that 
I, the way I looked at it back then uh, was that uh, we would make up the money because uh, we wouldn't have as many illegals coming over. Um, we'd save uh, because we'd eliminate a lot of the drugs coming over and a lot of the money uh, that's untaxed going back with the illegals. He says, well, that's us paying for the wall. I didn't really like him question me like that, but he, since he did, I thought about it for a second, and I'm like, actually, I really don't care. Um, okay. I, I wanted the wall. I've been promised for 50 years for uh, border security and immigration reform, and I've yet to get it from any of them. We pay for everybody's security around the world, and we're not going to pay for our own. Are you kidding me? So you, you at the time believed the promise, but now it is, as it becomes maybe more apparent that that will not be happening, it really doesn't bother you. Is that what you're no, saying? I, I didn't. I didn't believe that Mexico would pay for it directly, but indirectly. But even okay. even still, if that argument, uh, if I was looking at it wrong, it really doesn't matter now to All me. All right. So. I, yep, I, I appreciate it, Lewis. And that is the sentiment of the last couple of calls. 414-799-1620 on the Acunin Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There is a text that has come through, and I've been waiting for this text because I have a response I have a premeditated response to this text that I was anticipating, could have been a call to, that I was anticipating would come in while we were discussing this. I will read that text, and I will give you my premeditated response. Next, it's 1244. Scott Waters, Eric Bilstad, in for Jeff on WTMJ. Back at it, Scott and Eric, Jeff is off. Okay, here is this text that I was anticipating. It's a simple one-sentence text from the 262. I did not view it as a promise, but as a tongue-in-cheek statement. I did not view it as a promise, but as a tongue-in-cheek statement. Now, I don't know how anyone could have watched that campaign, that presidential journey that Donald Trump went on. I don't know how anybody could watch that and not see it as a promise, but rather as a tongue-in-cheek statement, lest we have to turn back the clock a little bit. I will build a great, great wall on our southern border, and I will have Mexico pay for that wall. Mark my words. We're going to make them pay for that wall. Mexico's going to pay for the wall. Mexico is going to pay for the wall. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Who is going to pay for the wall? By the way, who's going to pay for the wall? I was going to leave that one out for the energy speech, but you know what? It never fails. We will build the wall. Who's going to pay for the wall? Mexico. Mexico. Who's going to pay for the wall? Mexico. Mexico's going to pay for the wall. They're going to pay. Remember. Remember I said it. Mexico's going to pay for the wall. And it's very easy. The other politicians come down. You can't get Mexico to pay for the wall. I said... 100%. These politicians that I'm running against, you don't really think Mexico's going to pay for the wall. A lot of politicians said, you can't get Mexico to pay for the wall. And they say, you're not going to get Mexico to pay for the wall. And they say, 
You can't get Mexico to pass it. Yes, I can. I said, of course I am. I said, absolutely. 100%. Well, I said, oh, it's going to be so easy. By the way, 100%. You know, one of the politicians on stage said, Donald, come here. There's no way you're going to get Mexico to pay for the wall. I said, it's easy. I didn't want to really explain. And when people say, oh, well, they'll never pay for the wall, of course they will. We're going to build the wall. Believe me, Mexico is going to pay for the wall. Remember this. Mexico will pay for the wall, okay? Believe me. We will build a wall and Mexico will pay for the wall. Believe me. And believe me, they're going to pay for the wall. And Mexico is going to pay for the wall. Believe me. Who's going to pay for the wall? That's right. You better believe it. We can build a wall. And by the way, Mexico can pay for the wall. And Mexico will pay for the wall. I know how to get Mexico to pay for the wall. They're going to pay for the wall. I guarantee you, folks, that Mexico is going to pay for the wall. Just as sure as you're standing there. Mexico is going to pay for the wall as sure as you're standing there. Mexico will pay for the wall. We haven't quite explained it to them yet. They don't quite know it yet. Mexico's going to pay for the wall. They don't know it yet. They don't know it yet. They might not know it yet, but they're paying for the wall. We're going to build the wall 100%. Mexico's going to pay for the wall. They don't know it yet, but they're going to pay for the wall. Believe me. In the end, Mexico's going to pay for the wall. I'm just telling you. Mexico's going to pay for the wall. We're going to build the wall, and Mexico's going to pay for it. That's why Mexico's going to pay for the wall. And we will build that wall, and Mexico will pay for that wall. They're going to pay for the wall. And they're going to enjoy it. Who is going to pay for the wall? Mexico will pay for the wall. Mexico will pay for the wall. Mexico's going to pay for the wall. Mexico will pay for the wall. And Mexico will pay for the wall. And just let me ask you one question about the wall. Who the hell is going to pay for the wall? Mexico. What? Mexico. Okay, now... Some of you may have got very annoyed with that a minute or two in. It ran three minutes. You maybe got annoyed 30 seconds in. The point of me playing that is simply to exemplify the point. You can say it was a campaign promise. You can say, I don't care that he broke the promise. I still like what he's doing. I still want the wall. You can say, I voted for him. I'll vote for him again. I'm disappointed that he broke the campaign promise. What you cannot do and I think it is silly to do, is to deem that, all of that, as simply tongue-in-cheek. There is no way whatsoever on God's green earth that you could have followed that campaign, even a little bit, even casually, even the final month. There is no way that you could have followed this entire political story and said, well, that's just tongue-in-cheek. That is tongue-in-cheek? That's tongue-in-cheek? That's a campaign promise. That's a campaign promise that was rolled out day after day after day. So I do not accept that as, well, he was just kind of joking, because that's what tongue-in-cheek means. You kind of, I'm not serious about it, but, you know. Well, then it's a campaign promise that was either a lie initially, and why doesn't that bother you then? If he purposely duped you into believing, how, doesn't that irk you? Doesn't it get under your skin? That's why I play that audio. Because I, for, and there are people out there who believe that he was being tongue-in-cheek. You're wrong. That, that was a campaign promise. If he meant to break it, why aren't you ticked at that? Watch out. Watch how this goes. And for Democrats, obviously, because they're going to run against the president. But uh, Republicans in the future, this blueprint 
Just uh, keep an eye out for this and see how someone will take this blueprint that he has and see if they can make up their own situation, create their own entity that mm-hmm. they overstate or overpromise. Mm-hmm. This is a this is a blueprint that will be used again. 414-799-1620 on the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And yes, we will get to the point, because I know I've got Michael in Sheboygan who's going to make it and others who have made it on the text line. I will address the point that the money through the proposed new trade agreement with Mexico, Canada, and the United States is going to be you know, directed and funneled towards this wall and the financing of it. We'll address that next on WTMJ. 1255. You know, not being here every day, I forget the joys of the text line. <laughs> Isn't it fantastic? <laughs> it's, it's just, uh, uh, that's just, uh, that's great. <laughs> uh, people are asking me why I voted for Hillary, which I didn't. Everything to thank you for exposing this for the lies that it is. I'm a very frustrated Republican. The nine two, I just it's, it's great. Okay, here's a point that that we that needs to be brought up because uh, a lot of people are doing it. We'll let Michael and Sheboygan make the point. Hey, Michael, good afternoon. Hey, how are you? Good, good. Go ahead. Uh, the point you're going to make. Well, the point I had was, and, and part of it is the fact that a lot of your prior callers did indicate that no one probably ever thought. We're going to basically build a wall and then send Mexico an invoice, and they're going to cut us a check. But he always did plan to renegotiate the trade deals with Mexico. And by eliminating NAFTA and renegotiating the trade deals, we're surely bringing in a lot more than $5.7 billion there. Now, it may not be earmarked specifically for the wall, but by having our trade imbalance with Mexico go back by more than $5.7 billion in our favor, Mexico is at least putting the money back in the United States that would easily pay for the wall. Okay, and and that that is a you're right, Michael, and that is something that a lot of people are bringing up as the explanation for Mexico, maybe not directly, but in the end, paying indirectly. Right, right, in, indirectly, it, it's going to be funneled that way, and it, in the end, it all comes out. So I appreciate the call. I'm going to let you fly. The problem is that has been debunked, and I. I understand the point Michael's making, but as um, as Politico outlined, when the USMCA was proposed, first of all, remember that the the renegotiated uh, NAFTA deal is not yet in effect. Okay, the the Congress has yet to approve the U.S. Mexico Canada agreement. It looks good. It looks like that will happen. But the other thing is the deal does not include any language saying Mexico will pay the U.S. for the wall. Now, as Michael said. By the fact that over here on the right hand, you've got trade dollars, if you will, or the equivalent of dollars being being paid out by Mexico. Over here on the left hand, you've got the defense budget and, and, and uh, uh, finances related to the wall. The problem is one does not touch the other. One does not impact the other. And so the claim that what is being financed or what is being gained in the USMCA in essence, is going to benefit what's happening with the defense funding and and the wall, one does not touch the other. That is the problem here. Um, As We're up against the news. We can go into this, and I can read a little bit more into this after the newscast. But as as Politico, and, and there's been numerous articles that have debunked this belief, and I understand why the argument is made, but it's just not true that the trade agreements do not really have the terms that have one government another, or, if you will, 
transfer of funds. That That is not what happens in this deal. That is not how the government works in this respect. 414-799-1620. We'll, uh, we'll finish that point. And then I'd like to kind of sidestep and move to another element of what we saw on Friday in the Rose Garden about precedent being set. And again, I'm going to try to have this conversation rationally, responsibly, and whether or not conservatives, Republicans, should be worried about the precedent being set by the president utilizing national emergency to get the money that he wants for this project. What does that mean moving forward? I think there's some cause for concern there, and I think conservatives and Republicans should be voicing that, and some are. 109, Scott Warris with Eric Bilstad in for Jeff Wagner, Kyle producing, as is usually the case. Now, the conversation we had in that last hour, and I, I obviously am not so naive as to think that people will not come out with you know, guns a-blazing, saying, oh, gosh, why do you hate Trump and this and that. I just, I genuinely, don't, don't, look, I, I don't want to have that, I, I didn't want to have that conversation under the auspices of, uh, you know, everybody get to your political corners and here we go. And yet on the text line, and I, I'm not, com- well, I am complaining, I suppose, about the text line. But it's it's not, it, the two, glad you're so concerned about Trump. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Or per- perhaps if you like your plan, you can keep your plan. If you're concerned over Trump's statements about who will pay for the wall, it needs to be built. I hope you dedicate as much or more airtime to just the two lies, Obama and the Democrat. Yes, that was a lie as well. That was a lie as well. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. That was called, by the way, many deem PolitiFact call that the lie of the year back in 2013. So it's just a matter of, folks, I just, I, I genuinely wanted to have the conversation. And we did. We did. We, we had good calls. I, we, we heard from a lot of people who, who said, I voted for Trump. And many who said, I never believed that Mexico would pay for the wall. Others who said, I kind of hoped they would, but clearly they didn't. We had people who say, I voted for him, and I always took it. I always took it as a tongue-in-cheek comment. I don't buy it as tongue-in-cheek. I, I would say it's a campaign promise that was broken. Because I, that's just a question that, that I often think about and wonder about. And so not every, I just say, when, when I say when you text in, when you call in, be rationable. Rationable. Yes, be rationable. That that is a rational, reasonable text. That's a rational text. I just say, just let's just have some common sense here. Not everything is. Oh, I can't believe you criticize. How could you do this? You voted for Hillary. I don't. No, I didn't vote for Hillary. Just take a breath, everybody. Not every conversation that we have has to be fueled with our political partisan nature. Sometimes the the the, the issues and the topics that really interest me the most, I'll be honest, as I learn this radio thing, the topics and the issues that interest me the most genuinely are why we, we act as we do, what motivates us to think as we do, and in this, sense, in, in, in this realm, we're talking politics. So that's why I found it interesting for the first hour to talk about why people who voted for the president who are Trump supporters, 
I'll write down why, but how they feel about the promise. I saw it as a campaign promise that Mexico would pay for the wall. Not everything that comes behind this microphone is meant to elicit a polarizing political view. Everything is polarizing now, Scott. You know that. Well, that's wrong, and that's but why that's, I'm trying to change radio that, one show at a time. That's normal. That, that's <laughs> in it's it's no, right. it's so I know. polarizing. I know. And and we all feel this necessity to be contrarian or defensive or it it, it, with everything. I play. And how dare you have some hypocritical thoughts? How dare you have a thought that is a little bit bluer than red? How dare you be uh, have more thoughts that are red and not as blue? Everything. So, you know what? A lot of a lot of people actually believe it or not. Believe it or not, probably blend more than you realize. Purple. They're purple. Yes, or right? don't even realize they're purple, and they are. It is. It is. Believe it or not. I, and look, I, I realize. You know, you're, you're you're absolutely right, Eric. That is, in large part, how topics are seen right now, especially when you take up a through topic a lens. Yep, through a lens like that. That is is political. But just so you know, and I, I played that montage of the president only because I don't know how anybody could see it any other way than a campaign promise. Of course, many. Of you, unfortunately, not many, but I guess some people out there, based on the text line, um, see that montage as as being uh, anti-Trump. No, that, that that's just what he said. I'm not necessarily looking for a political fight at every topic. I realize that I am a quiet little voice yelling in the empty forest on this one. What do you think about the precedent, though, that is being set? by the declaration of a national emergency. This is something that does bother me. And I think it should be something that, again, is a purple topic. Because, just because there, there there's a Republican in the White House right now does not mean that the next time there's a Democrat sitting in the Oval Office who contemplates declaring a national emergency for a topic that he or she deems to be worthy of a national emergency doesn't mean there's not going to be the same outrage. But I'm I'm always thinking, or I often think, about something that happens, whether it was, yes, folks, whether it was Obama, whether it's Trump now. How does this play moving forward? What type of precedent is being set when it comes to actions, either in office or ancillary actions like the, 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 the tweeting of the president? By the way, I, I think that Twitter is forever now a part of the presidency. We saw the President Obama use it sparingly, not certainly at all on par with how, how President Trump uses it. And I think the next president of the United States will have Twitter as a major part of their presidency. That is something, you talk precedent, that is something that is now forever altered, and precedent has been set when it comes to social media, not only in office, but how one campaigns. President Trump, groundbreaking in that respect. Again, the issue of precedent being set on a you know less important uh, element such as social media. Can anyone else do it like he has been able to do it, though? See, that's the big question. He's unique in a lot of ways, so he's been able to pull this off, you could argue. Can anyone else do that like he has been able to? They will try. I don't know. I, I, I would never say never. 
I think they'll try, but I think the issue of social media as a precedent set for a campaign and then once you're in office as part of your communication directly with the American people, I mean, I... I and imagine President Trump when he's out of office. No. I, I, it'll be the same as it is now. I right? mean, what, 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 what are you saying? He's going to be more, more unleashed when he's <laughs> well, a little oh, bit. If you think I mean, he's, if, if you think he's outspoken now on social media, wait until he's out right, of office. Yes, right? right? You really think there's no, going to be a, much of a difference? I think he's lonely. I think he's bored oftentimes. So, so here's the precedent that, that I'm curious. Where you come down? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty on the Akin and Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are conservatives should conservatives be at all concerned about what is being set in um, response to the national emergency? Of course, we found out on Friday. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We found out on Friday that after lawmakers did not approve the five point seven billion dollars that was requested. The debate now rages. The president signed the continuing resolution and now declares the national emergency to get the rest of the money he didn't get in the continuing resolution. Nancy Pelosi was one of the first to bring up the point, saying a Democratic president can declare emergencies as well. She says, so the the precedent that the president, say that five times fast, is setting here is something that should be met with great unease and dismay by the Republicans. The action raises problems of both principle and precedent from some right-leaning and libertarian legal specialists. Others argue that Trump's actions is probably legal or say they're not especially worried about potential consequences down the line. We will find out, obviously, in due time, whether or not this national emergency can pass legal muster. And it's going to likely go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And if they vote in favor or side with the president, then this national emergency tactic will have been a successful one. If at any point along the way it falls, it fails, it's stopped, then the precedent, I think, would be set by virtue of the proposal, even if even if it didn't work all the way to the end goal. Nonetheless, my question to you at 414-799-1620, as a conservative, as a Republican, and even if you're not, you know what, even, even if you're not, I, I said, I, you know what, I'm, I'm contradicting myself now because I said at the top it's a purple topic. Should something like this be of a concern as an American when you talk about presidential powers and the precedent being set in the future? If... Border security is a national emergency for Republican President Donald Trump in 2019. Could it not be argued that climate change could be a national emergency as declared by a Democratic president in, name the year, 2028? Could it not be argued that health care or the lack thereof, a health care crisis in America. Could a health care crisis not be considered a national emergency for a president who wants to find funding for universal health care, let's say, in, name the year, 2030? I mean, you, 
Maybe you roll your eyes when I say that, going, oh, come on, let's get real here. That's not going to happen. But what? I mean, tell me why this is different, then, if you disagree with my slippery slope theory. 414-799-1620, the Acunin Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I'm always interested in precedent. What is precedent being set? We talk about something on a lighter scale, like social media precedent. Look, at the end of the day, that's not worth a hill of beans. This national emergency for five plus billion for border wall security. This is some. This is a tactic. It has been used sparingly before, but it is a tactic that sets precedent. I believe moving forward, and I don't know that that is a good thing. I'm uneasy, whether it was a Republican or a Democrat. It makes me uneasy. When the president uses powers that have been seldom used, and many would debate, he may not even have. And you can lump the executive orders into that as well. I did not like it at all when President Obama, especially in that second term of his, started expediting the executive orders. That's how we got DACA. On the issues of immigration, Obama exercised executive orders willy-nilly, I did not like it then. It makes me uneasy when the president starts doing that. And that's what fuels my uneasiness now, here and now, in 2019, with this national emergency declaration. 414-799-1620. Scott Warris and Eric Bilstad in for Jeff Wagner. I asked you during the break, am I making sense? Or am I just rambling here? Am, is, am, I, am I clear enough? Do I need to be more to provide, provide more clarity as to my 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 worry, my is, question? Is the president becoming too powerful? Meaning a president, not necessarily. Yes. Is the position with this national emergency declaration, which allows him to access funds not appropriated by Congress, not a part of any kind of legislation, just because it's been declared a national emergency, mm-hmm. can the president? You know, the legal debate now begins, but initially there was thought this is going to get shot down in the courts. The more you watch reaction, the more you go, eh, you know what? Courts usually side with the president on issues of power and and um, reach and things like that. And considering that if it gets all the way to the, the high court, it's a, there, there's a conservative majority right now at the U.S. Supreme Court. So I've always been uneasy about presidential power. Checks and balances, that what, that, that, that's what has made this country so remarkably unique and special. And whether it was most recently President Obama with the series of executive orders, which have, by the way, alarmingly continued at a current clip during the Trump administration, or whether it's with this national emergency. You know, somebody in the um, uh, texture here, the 906, says, Congress delegated this power to the executive branch years ago. Congress has not passed a budget since 2006. Talk about a slippery slope. Man, that, that, that is another argument and another topic for another day. But you're right. The only thing, well, we'll get to Lewis and Marty here. The only thing that has kept national emergencies from being declared more frequently so that presidents could access funds, the only thing that has kept that from happening more frequently is... The person themselves. It has been Barack Obama, before that George W. Bush, saying that is a step too far. I personally, George W. Bush, for example, do not believe 
that I, the president, should be declaring a national emergency for fill in the blank of the cause so that I can get more money. There has been personal restraint. That's it. There's been personal restraint by the man in the Oval Office who has said that is something and a step too far that I do not believe I should be doing. That, in large part, has kept us from crossing this bridge more frequently than we have. And now you have President Trump, who feels, you know what? I was elected to build this wall. I was elected to ruffle feathers. I'm not traditional. All those other cliches that are tied to him. And so this is something I can do, I will do, I want to do. Let's do it. And if it holds up, so be it. That is the only reason why we don't have this debate and this conversation has not happened more often than not. Okay, there. Lewis in the, on the south side. Hey, Lewis, you're up on WTMJ. Um, yeah, actually we're under 31 different um, state of emergencies going back to uh, Jimmy Carter. Uh, Barack Obama declared national emergencies to give aid to Yemen, Libya, Ukraine. No, 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 Lewis, those aren't national. No, Lewis, 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 those are not national emergencies to get money to Ukraine or Yemen. President Obama, Lewis, Lewis, President Obama declared a national emergency for the swine flu. That was his national emergency declaration to address that issue here in the country in whatever year that was. I understand right. specific issues. Well, I didn't think we had time to go. You want to go through the the Brunei, uh, Brunei issues, the Somalia issues, the Venezuela? We can do No, 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 no. Okay. All right. Well, Lewis, Lewis, thanks for the call. You have to be able... Do we all know what a national emergency is? I mean, I think we have to... Def- do I, I wasn't anticipating you have to define that. I can look up the... De- I can read the definition... In just a couple, a national emergency speaks to the nation of America. I think Lewis's point is whether or not a president was able to do something and make a decision on something without having to ask Congress about it. Oh, yes. But again, I want to keep this focus on national emergency per se. And, and all right. let's try this again. Let's take a break. We'll come back. It's 128. Scott Warris in for Jeff on WTMJ. Four one four Texan. There is a very big difference between national emergency and executive order, and there are. Both speak to a slippery slope of presidential powers, which is just interesting to think about. And um, if you can't be, if if you're not alarmed by it, I think there has to be some semblance of is this is this what's best for the country? And back to the original question: What precedent is being set here? That was the original question. That's the question I'm going to focus on. Are you, and maybe you're not. That's fine. That's an answer. No, I'm not. Are you at all concerned by precedent that is being set in this declaration by President Trump? This week's Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase is brought to you by Outdoor Living Unlimited, extending your house into your yard with patios, decks, fire pits, outdoor kitchens, and lots of other great ideas for the ultimate backyard, OutdoorLivingUnlimited.com. I am not Jeff Wagner, 
And apparently a lot of you don't like that. <laughs> if I could look at the text line. Come on, people. 414-799-1620 on the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. <sighs> you know, I knew when I teed up these two topics today of exploring in the first hour, exploring whether or not people felt that the president broke a promise when he said that Mexico would pay for the wall. I knew that, all right, we're going to kind of wade into some political waters here. Not everything should be seen through these political lenses. I, I, I'm just asking a question as an American. Presidential powers, precedent being set. Should this be a concern in the end if President Trump is able to get the money he wants for the wall through the course of a national emergency declaration? I, I, I think that's a legitimate question to ask. Now, be, I'm just... Uh, rational responsible conversation let's try tom in watertown hey tom good afternoon hey scott i think it sets a very terrible president for one thing is his next campaign promise was infrastructure is he going to declare another national emergency and how many you have to have checks and balances and the congress holds your purse spring purse springs mm-hmm. somebody has to keep the president in check you can't just declare national emergencies on every little thing that you, if you campaigned on it. If he doesn't get his way for infrastructure, is he going to say that's a national emergency? We need it, and then there you go. I mean, it would, it, it could never end. That is my uneasiness. Now, Tom, we may learn, we may find out, as this navigates the various court challenges, we may find out that in the end. The president is within his right and within his powers to do this. Then, but, the, then Congress has to start stepping in and saying that we have to change that power and put specifics in there to say what is a national emergency. That may be one of the residual effects of this. I, I just think that it is it is a reasonable question yes, it is. to ask what type of precedent does this set? And for everybody who's texting in and calling up, for everybody who is upset that, heaven forbid, we ask this question, that is my larger concern, that we should not even ask the question. You can still love President Donald Trump. You can go to bat for him. You can love the wall and what he stands for and every policy. But that doesn't mean it's un-American or wrong to question sometimes. And you can't bypass Congress every time you don't get your way. Exactly. Congress has a role to play. Congress has a role to play now. We may, again, we may find out that in this, the president is going to get out, win every legal challenge ultimately, and get... But just remember, whenever it is that the president is of another political persuasion, whatever year that is, whether it's four years, eight years, whatever... At some point, that's going to happen. That, that, that's a prediction I'm willing to, to make. At some point, the Democrats will again have the Oval Office. Don't worry, and, Scott. And, I'll continue to listen and, to you. And at some point, thank you, Tommy. I'll let you go. At some point, Tom and my mom, they're the only two that's left listening at this point. I've, I've alienated a lot of people. At some point, the shoe's going to be on the other foot. And then how are conservatives going to react and respond when there is a Democrat in office and they feel that climate change and the threat to this planet, they'll claim, and this country is a national emergency? Is that a stretch 
I mean, am I going out on a limb to say that that is not a claim that would be made? We're already hearing that. I mean, who said it, that climate change is the biggest threat to this country? President Obama said that during the campaign with Romney, right? It wasn't Russia, for example. It was climate change. Climate change and, 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 and the threat to the planet is more of a threat than terrorism, for example. I mean, look, that is a... That is a liberal talking point that is going to be spouted throughout this entire primary from that side of the aisle. So is it, is it, is it that much of a stretch to think that when there's a Democrat in office that they will not deem climate change as a national emergency and look to get funding for various green initiatives through that method? Will Republicans, how will Republicans, how will conservatives react to that? I will not, I will be just as uneasy then, I promise you this, I will be just as uneasy then as I am now. This questioning should not be a matter of, well, there's a Republican in the Oval Office, so I'm not going to question, but I'll wait to question whether this is a question that should be asked of Americans, regardless of political persuasion, if you care for this country. How concerned are you about precedent being set? Okay, there we go. Let's hear from David in Mequon. Hey, David, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon. What say you, Um, my friend? So, you know, in this case, you know, one of the fundamental things that the president is supposed to be doing is to protect and to serve the national interests of the country. So when we talk about climate change, now you're talking about you know, taking private property, uh, which is a whole different ballgame, or if we're taking guns, now you're trampling over Second Amendment rights, versus a small slice of easement, uh, which was already appropriated back in 2006, uh, you know, with the Congress, and you had President George Bush that had already signed off in the border fence back then. It was never completed. I don't see, he's not... In other words, we have a drug epidemic in this country, obviously, as you know, mm-hmm. and we still have people that are pouring in the country illegally. So all he's doing is, I feel, you know, I feel is mm-hmm. basically fulfilling his obligation as a president to keep the country as a sovereign nation, whereas the other two things that were brought up, that's in completely different. You're, you're trampling on. Now, what about the matter, okay, I I get the point you're making, David, but what about the matter of eminent domain? Because that is going to come up, and it already has in some respects, when you talk about building the wall. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that speaks to a constitutional issue as well, and and there will be matters of of property acquisition by the government Mm -hmm. in order to construct this border wall, right? Correct. So in that case, the people that will sue, and they will sue, they'll be compensated accordingly. I mean, keep in mind, when we built the highway system, there are literally thousands of buildings that are knocked down when we built the freeway system back in the 1950s and 60s. So eminent domain did come in a factor in the same thing with Milwaukee when they were trying to do the, uh, uh, the, the Park East Freeway. They literally just bulldozed you know, entire neighborhood. 
Yep. For the purpose of, uh, of a government. Back to the role. original question, David. Yes or no, are you concerned about any precedent being set by getting the funding through this method? Well, in this case, it's too bad that he had to do this, but I think he's, you know, obligated to, again, to do what he has to do to protect the country. Okay. Thanks for the call, David. 414-799-1620. Squeeze in one more here before the break. Marty in Waukesha, what say you? Waukesha. Marty in, Marty, is this Marty? Correct, sir. Okay, Marty, have at it. You're at, wherever you are right now, you're on the air. (laughs) Okay. Um, You know, uh, being on a debate team, I don't like the politicians using frivolous terminology. And one of the things that irritated me um, is the difference between crisis and emergency. I would like everybody to be on the same boat with that. Um, this is being deemed know. a national emergency, and, and, and it has to be classified as such for the president to go down this road. And I would agree with that, and I would I love it if everybody used that proper terminology in order to expand on this. Um, look at the uh, uh, the fact that we have all the drugs coming in from Mexico uh, affects everybody. That affects people in the womb. That affects people that are married to somebody that that is doing drugs. So you have, so again, Marty, I, I got to redirect you to to the original question. Do you have any problem with precedent that is being set here um, through this way, through this route of getting the money? I I do not. Okay. I think it has to be done, and when something has to be done, you use all means and your resource to accomplish that and stop the bad things that are happening. All right. I am, Thank you for the call, Marty. I'm I'm up against the break. That worries me. I mean, when something is happening, you need to use whatever you can to stop the bad things happening. I'm paraphrasing there what Marty said. Just that that's worrisome for me because at some point in time, that same argument could be used for any other number of issues. And if you are not on that side of the issue, are you then not going to argue that the president is overstepping his powers? Slippery slope, that's all I'm saying. And I think it is not wrong to question precedent here and whether or not it's the right or wrong thing to do because of that precedent. WTMJ, Good Karma Brands and Versity Blood Center of Wisconsin need your help for the Good Karma Blood Drive at the Milwaukee County Zoo. It's February 26th. Stop by from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. to give blood and save a life. There will be food, parking. If you're a donor, we'll give you parking as well. Plus, you'll go home with a mystery bag and a ticket to a Brewers game. How about that? For more info, go to WTMJ.com or text the word BLOOD. Text the word BLOOD, B-L-O-O-D, to 414-799-1620. It's one fifty. Scott Warris, in for Jeff Wagner, and we're doing some heavy lifting today. I realize that, and it's not easy things to talk about. It elicits some pretty strong emotions because it is political in nature. But I don't think there's anything wrong with asking some of these larger questions. And I think if you can somehow, some way, and I realize, I really do understand how hard it is to separate one's 
opinions from political leanings and just try to look at it. Just, I just ask the question, for a national emergency to be declared, is there any concern about the precedent being set moving forward for future presidents? Precedents and presidents. Remember, in large part, what has been keeping this from being more frequent is just the man in the Oval Office, the man behind the desk, choosing not to go down this road and choosing the traditional ways of getting funding for whatever the cause and whatever the emergency may be. You can also debate, and I don't want to do that here, but I'm going to make this point anyway and probably be burned for it. You can make the claim this isn't even an emergency. We haven't even talked about that because there is some who say the southern border situation is not an emergency. I'm not debating that. I'm not saying it is or it isn't. So don't text me on that one. I just That's a separate one for a separate day, but nonetheless... Haven't heard from this man in a while. It's Vincent on the northwest side. Hello, sir. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, you know, what, what really concerns me is what President Trump did, but really concerns me is what your callers are saying. The fact is they don't care that the president is, is basically saying that, hey, I can, I can take money from the military that was, that was, was appropriated through, 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 uh, through law and do what I want with it. And also the fact is, is that so, so in the future, can someone, can someone say, hey, I want to do health care, and I'm going to take money from any department I want, even though that money was appropriated for, for, for another reason? You know, it, 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 this is how we began to lose, lose our liberties in this country, because the fact is we, we continue to go down this road where we allow the president to do anything he wants. And, and so, 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 are we concerned about hey, what happens to the money, money that is, that is appropriated through through Congress, and, and 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 that the president can go in there at any point in time and say he, he declares an emergency and take take from anything he wants? We 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 definitely need to be concerned about this. And again, we will see if this holds up. There are going to be legal challenges to it, and we will see if in the end this ultimately goes through. But. You know, you, you you make a point, Vincent, where a lot of, I think a lot of people are simply seeing this as this is a topic or, or, or the issue of the wall. I want the wall. However we can get the wall is what matters to me, that the ends will justify the means by which we got the wall. And that is what I'm asking people to reconsider. Reconsider the means to the end. Thanks for the call, Vincent. Let's quickly get uh, this Eddie and Franklin. Eddie, you're on WTMJ. What say you? Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I voted for Trump, but I don't like what he's doing right now with this uh, emergency, national emergency. I think personally that it's a Pandora's box. And, uh, I mean, I think the Dems, Pelosi even said it herself, you know, when, when a Democratic president gets in there, you know, are they going to go for gun control as a national emergency? Are they going to say this new Green Deal is, 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 is uh, imperative to be uh, put into place? I mean, it, it's just, uh, like you said earlier, a slippery slope. And I, I don't think that's what the uh, executive privilege was meant for. Um, yeah, it's a crisis. Definitely it's a crisis. And, you know, we have a huge budget. You can't tell me that somewhere in that budget we can't trim 5 to $7 billion out of that budget, whether it be for military or wherever these pork barrel spending projects are, mm-hmm. that we couldn't get him the money somewhere else without declaring a national emergency. Thanks for the call, Eddie. Appreciate it very much. Slippery slope, it's an overused term. It's a term that I use a lot, and it is an overused term. But I think it's true. Pandora's box, whatever the phrase is, whatever the term is, there's nothing wrong with stepping back, 
taking off your Republican hat, taking off your Democrat hat, and saying, is this good for the country? What does this mean for the country moving forward when another party is in power? We have time for one more quick call on this one. Let's go to Ralph in West Bend. Ralph, I'm going to ask you to keep it kind of uh, tight here. We're tight for time. Go ahead. All right, Scott. You are thinking and speaking like a true Republican, and unfortunately, most people that call themselves conservatives today do not think and act like true Republicans. If they were, this type of executive action would shake them to the core. Unfortunately, older conservatives suffer from political Alzheimer's, and younger conservatives don't know what being a Republican truly is. Short and sweet. That's it. Thanks for the call, Ralph. And, uh, yeah, you certainly made it short and sweet there. I, that, that is something, and we didn't bring it up here. But are Republicans, are conservatives for smaller government? Get the feds out of my life. And isn't this a, a, a rather large reach, potentially, by the president to get the money for federal funding of over $5 billion? It just, that, that is also something that has crossed my mind. And yes, I am a conservative. And as a conservative, maybe that's why it, it makes me so uneasy, because it is a, 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 a money grab, a power play by the president, by the federal government. And should that not bother conservatives, or at least make, make us uneasy to the point where we pause... We put down our GOP hat and we simply ask the question, is this a good thing? It's 159. News headlines with Eric up next. Scott Warris with Eric Bilstad, Kyle Paczynski producing. Jeff Wagner's off this week. He'll be back on Monday. He is in a much warmer climate. We'll leave it at that and let him fill in the details when he's back on Monday. I told him we would text him, maybe call him. Oh, did you? (laughs) With what, a temperature update? Yeah, we should really do that. Just call him, get him on the show quick. Hey, uh, tell everybody what you saw. On your drive-in yeah. today, or yeah, today. So right? yeah, so we're this driving in this morning, and the and the roads were brutal, right? Like just sloppy, and not not everyone could move very fast. Your wheels are spinning a little bit. Well, it was like six forty-five in the morning. I'm on Port Washington Road, um, south of Silver Spring, and I'm just slogging through there, and I'm, we're moving slow. Our tires are spinning, and I look over to the right, and there is one turkey, <laughs> and I mean that. No, it was literally a turkey. Oh. Just walking, slogging his head down. <laughs> it looked like he was walking in the work, and he was just as miserable as the rest of us. This random turkey just walking through the, the snow. In the path of the sidewalk or something? No, no near the sidewalk. Near the sidewalk. He, I don't know if you know he's not that smart, <laughs> but yeah, he was just kind of on the, on the berm there. <laughs> that makes gotta, for great visual. Gotta get to work. Whoa. And I felt at, sorry for him. Stopped at the bus stop. <laughs> yeah. Briefcase under one of his wings. <laughs> Looking at his watch. Oh, going... Man. Oh, man. <laughs> He's got the newspaper under his wing, carrying it in. Like I said to you off the air, that image that I conjure up as you describe that, it reminds me of the back of the New Yorker, the New Yorker magazine, when you get to right. guess the caption and then submit a caption for the cartoon that'll appear in the next, you know, next week's issue. And I could see that. In a snowstorm, a turkey, head hanging, (laughs) just walking along. Caption that. He looked so miserable. That was actually my favorite part, that I wasn't the only one cursing this morning.
I would go with, quote, days like this make me long for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Something like that. That would be my proposed uh, caption for that cartoon. Now, see, it would have to be more um, highbrow and educated sounding, right? Perhaps. 799. Mm, mm, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Using big words. Before the hour's over, I do want to talk about, uh, this is President's Day, and we've been talking a lot about presidents in the first two hours. Um, I'm just curious on, what are the traits, and again, we'll try to set aside the, the current of feelings towards the current president, if that is even possible. What, what are the traits that you want in presidents? What are the traits that you've admired in leaders, in, in presidents, in years gone by? We'll just, I'm just curious on, on the adjectives and the characteristics that you would uh, use to describe presidents whom you respect and admire. We'll do that before 3 o'clock, but let's just maybe uh, take the temperature of this one a little bit. This was in that newscast, and I, I had not, and shame on me, I know we've had it probably in other uh, newscasts, but I've been running around a lot, and this one I caught here, is this decision out of New York City to ban discrimination based on hair. So I'm going to call a little bit of an audible here and um, have a listen to this and, and we're just going to get your reaction to this. Do you have that report? I'm Gary Nunn. No longer can people be harassed, punished, fired, or demoted in New York City simply because of how their hair looks. That's now considered racial discrimination. Officials say the new rule, believed to be the first in the country, is aimed at remedying the disparate treatment of African Americans. At issue is hair texture or style, including the right to wear it long or untrimmed. Those found guilty can be taken to court or fined up to a quarter of a million dollars. Gary Nunn, CBS News. Hmm. What's your initial reaction to that? 414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Reading from the New York Times, uh, just a little bit more. This will now give, and Gary Nunn kind of touched on this, but this will give legal recourse to individuals who have been harassed, threatened, punished, demoted, or fired because of the texture or style of their hair. Penalties up to $250,000 can be levied on defendants that are found in violation of the guidelines. There's no cap on damages. This commission can also force internal policy changes and rehirings at offending institutions. Hmm. I'm still kind of mulling this one over now, myself. What if you have a guy who comes in and his hair is always just messy? Where he just looks sloppy, or, or you're asking, hey... Can you, you know, trim it up and look a little bit more professional? Is there a, is there a fine line there? It doesn't necessarily have to be about race, per se. I know in this specific case, it, it's focusing on race more than anything. That's what got this right. ball rolling, right. was uh, different uh, discrimination claims based on uh, hair style. And, but, what, what if you're like a cook? Like, are, can cooks walk in there with hair all over the place? They gotta, <laughs> well, you got to have the hat on or the hair net. Um, cause again, here, here's the, the part that makes you start thinking, well, does this scope go beyond just, you know, um, ethnicity texture or style of their hair? I mean, that's, that, that's anything and everything. Uh, just reading on here. 
Uh, let's see. There's nothing. This is a quote from the commissioner and the chairwoman of the New York City Commission on Human Rights. There's nothing keeping us from calling out these policies prohibiting natural hair or hairstyles most closely associated with black people. They are based on racist standards of appearance. She goes on to say racist stereotypes that say black hairstyles are unprofessional or improper. Again, a lot of it is race based, but if I'm understanding the rule, it's pretty well general and, and, and wide-ranging that anything could be lumped under the texture and style category of one's hair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's see here. The texts are coming through. I mean, just, just what's your reaction to that? 414-799-1620, Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, let's see. Chris in Campbellsport. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. We are becoming a society full of tender snowflakes. Okay. Uh, let's see here. From the 262, Renee in New Berlin saying this is uh, another entry into the world of insanity. Okay. Well, here's another one. How about your buddy Jeff in Fox Point? says, I used to get picked on for, for, for red hair, for being ginger. When I was little, but I never considered it oppression, racial oppression, just kids being mean, successfully getting me upset. Well, again, this isn't so much for kids. This is once you get to be an adult. and If you lose a job for it or or demoted for it. Or uh, harassment for it. There are seven cases in which people have complained of discrimination on the basis of their hair. Officials said some of these uh, folks, African-American, have complained of being forced to wear their braided hair up, while employees of other ethnicities have faced no such mandate. Other African-Americans in the city have complained of being fired for wearing their natural hair down Hmm. or being told that their locks were unacceptable or unclean and being forced to alter their hairstyle or lose their job. And then they reference, you remember that story? When was that? December when we had the high school wrestler? In New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Who had to cut his dreadlocks. Mm -hmm. Also last August, they detail an 11-year-old student in Louisiana sent home for wearing braids as was a six-year-old boy in florida who wore dreadlocks similar instances in new york city could fall under the human rights commission's expansive mandate as do instances of retailers that sell and display uh, racist iconography in december the commission issued a cease and desist order to uh, an italian luxury fashion house after the widow after the window, after the window of its Soho store was adorned with charms and keychains featuring blackface imagery. Well, um, hmm. So obviously, th- this is 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 aimed at outlawing a lot of the harassment, if not altogether discrimination, that African Americans face. But again, I go back to it being kind of a vague. I guess that is my biggest takeaway here. Nobody wants to weigh in. We'll move on. But that's my biggest takeaway is that the guidelines mention the right of New Yorkers to maintain, here's the quote, natural hair, treated or untreated hairstyles, such as locks, cornrows, twists, braids, fades, afros, and or the right to keep hair in an uncut or untrimmed state, end quote. So that, again, could be anybody. I mean, even if you're not African-American, you just want to have long hair or unkempt hair or something that would... Now, here's the question. What happens when you walk into an interview? You haven't even been hired. You're not an employee yet. But you walk in for your interview, and your hair is such a way that 
maybe could be seen as inhibiting your opportunity and your yeah. chance at the interview. Or your wardrobe. And you don't get the interview. Or I'm sorry, you don't get the second callback or you don't get the job at all. Would that not leave you open to potential violation of yeah. this new rule in New York City? Uh, let's hear from Alan in Germantown, weighing in on uh, WTMJ. Hey, Alan. Hey, how you doing? Good. Uh, this is this is a great subject. Um, uh, as an African American male, uh, I've experienced uh, you know racism as far as the way my hairstyle was back then. Where I I, I worked for a well known bank and uh, in Milwaukee, and um, I had dreadlocks. And it was a very professional setting, so I always going to sit back in the ponytail, and I made sure that I always had a, a nice lining in front, but then looked too rough, and it just looked real professional. And it was brought to my attention that my hairstyle was actually making other people uncomfortable. It was like in a cubicle setting place, and it was making other people uncomfortable, and they showed us our, their guidelines as far as hair length, hairstyles, what was acceptable and what was not acceptable. And then I told them, I said, no, I'm not you know, cutting my hair. And they gave me an ultimatum, either I do it or I was terminated for violating one of their policies. Well, me growing my hair for that, you know, since I was pretty much a kid, I said, well, no, this is, this is unacceptable. Um, and then you have like other guys there who happen to be white, who hair was straight and some had it in ponytail and, and they didn't say anything to them, you know. So and then I also had another experience where I ended up uh, suing, uh, my daughter went to a uh, Catholic school, private Catholic school, and she doesn't have a perm in her head, and we, we just don't believe in that. And she always wore her hair natural, and she sometimes she wear like a puffy afro curly type of girly hairstyle, you know, for African American women. Sure, it normally wears it. And they told us that uh, she couldn't wear a hairstyle like that because it was violating their policies, which is no afros and none of that, uh, no long hair, and, you know, just you know against their dress code policy. And I told her well, that's ridiculous. This wasn't brought to our attention when we first. Uh, you know, introduced to the school and signed her up for the school, and they end up uh, kicking her out of the Catholic school. So we end up actually going to court, and we actually settled out. They actually just end up paying the rest, reimbursing us uh, the rest of our tuition for that whole year. Um, wow. Yeah, but here's the thing. Uh, that, I think that law, a quarter of a million dollars, that's excessive. I mean, okay. I, I mean, I, I do believe there should be some type of penalties and fines, but it shouldn't be to a point where it's a quarter of a million dollars. I understand the way the route that New York is going, but sometimes I think that's kind of over overstepping it. Real quickly, Alan, and I've got to up against the break here. To the experience that you had, um, what, to your understanding, was it coworkers who complained, or or did they say for for customers of the bank they didn't like that look? How do you take the complaints that were made against you? Well, it, it was, like I said, it was in an office setting. It wasn't the bank that I worked at. It wasn't in a retail setting. So okay. I didn't deal with customers. Hmm. It was just my other coworkers that were there. Hmm. It made me feel, okay, so first of all, my first reaction, I was I was pretty much angry. I was mad. I couldn't believe it was happening. This is like in the early 2000s. And I'm thinking, like, okay, we way past this. And and, and a lot of people confronted me and said, well, hell, you, you knew the policies. You know, you should have looked at it more thoroughly because someone was going to say something about it. Yeah, but they hired you with that hair, did they not? Exactly. (laughs) And that's what I told her. I told one of the branch managers that worked at the uh, place I worked on. Well, when I I interview, I had like three interviews to get the job. No one said anything. On my third interview, I was pretty confident I had a job, and they were pretty confident they wanted to hire me to get contingent on my background check, so I knew I had the job in the bag. And I'm like, if they would have said something like, hey, 
by the way, Alan, upon hiring the start here, you're gonna have to, I would have, I would have turned down a job. So I was, I was there for approximately around like mm. eight months, and all of a sudden I just started getting these complaints from the way the, the way it was set up. It was just, you know, uh, certain managers from certain departments, and my manager just kept coming to me about it, and eventually. They gave me those ultimatums. Interesting. And, so yeah. I, I I got a break here, and I appreciate sure. the call, and I appreciate the story. So you would have, you would have turned down the job had you been told about it initially, but you weren't even told about it initially. Last question. Sorry, I'm fascinated by this. How long were you in that position before they they funneled word to you that we don't like the hair? Eight months. Eight months. It's a long time. Yep. When they wow. started getting complaints, because it was like other people, other employees that they were hired. It wasn't the ones that I actually started because we I started in a group of employees doing training. It was the employees that came in after me that hmm. were complaining about my hairstyle. Wow. Interesting. Thanks for the call, Anna, and I, I appreciate you sharing that story, both of, of what you went through and your daughter went through. That's interesting. Hmm. It's 222. Scott Warris and Eric Milstad in for Jeff on WTMJ. This week's Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase is brought to you by Outdoor Living Unlimited, extending your house into your yard with patios, decks, fire pits, outdoor kitchens, and lots of other great ideas for the ultimate backyard. OutdoorLivingUnlimited.com. It is 225. I give credit to Alan, the, the caller there, and he didn't, uh, he didn't sue, he just quit the job. Now, there was some legal recourse he took for his daughter's situation when uh, at school, but it, I, unless I f- forget what he said, I, he didn't take legal recourse against his employer, which I find pretty admirable. A- admirable, Don't you? Well, sure, absolutely. He said it himself, that he wouldn't have taken the job otherwise. It is interesting to think about, because I think those this is one of those times when, you know, I can't even pretend to know what that would be like. I mean, you couldn't, you know nope. what I mean? And then here, a girl goes and wears an afro to school and she gets reprimanded for it. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't right. make sense when you hear that. Or someone is at their place, they get hired, they're working, eight months into the job, they're told they have to cut their hair or fix their hair yeah. because others are complaining about it. Coworkers are complaining about it. Coworkers who were hired after you were, by the way. But Alan also said that that was excessive, what New York was doing with the, uh, the fines Well, the, yeah, and again, it's $250,000. The, the city commission can levy penalties up to 250000 on defendants that are found in violation of the guidelines, and there's no cap on damages. You know, I, I have to admit, though, I got it's never been a racial conversation, but I know I've had conversations with some folks here before about whether or not their their appearance was appropriate for the work setting hair oh. hair included all right let me then I'll ask you this because you are in a position of management i have never been i'm trying to think no i've never been in a position of management right. anywhere how do you go about addressing those type of issues with one of your employees which do not cross the line of being racist right. oh, or sure. right. personally right. um you know, it, it's not a personal attack just because you may not like their hairstyle. If we're talking hair here, their hairstyle, but because you genuinely feel that maybe their representation of your company or the role they have would be, you know, a little bit impinged upon because of 
their hair, for yeah, example. I guess in, in, How do you walk that line? In, right, that's a good question. My experience has never been a, a racial thing, but it's it's been more of a clothing situation about what would be appropriate to wear. You know, this is a business workplace. We want to look professional. We want to. We are going to be out in the public, whether interviewing the governor or or chasing someone down. You have to you have to hold the appearance uh, that is respectable, mm. and uh, that may be above what you're normally used to. You know, because you know some some folks graduate from college, they like wearing sweatpants or whatever. Now to that point, I know the world is changing. Some of us still like wearing sweatpants, by the <laughs> way. The world is changing. Wearing sweatpants right now. And, uh, and, and companies are different now, whereas they don't really hold that model as much as they may have in the past. So I, it's never been an awkward conversation, but it is one I've had before. I have to do, I, I do admit, I need to like think about it now and process it to make sure that it doesn't become something that I don't intend it to be. I guarantee you they're thinking about it in New York City now, that's for sure, with a $250,000 fine potentially awaiting you on the other end. Before we get to the news headlines here with Eric, what we're going to do over the next couple of segments before we turn it over to John and Melissa for Wisconsin's Afternoon News, on this President's Day, I just want to talk about the qualities that you look for in a president, that you want in a president. What are traits? What are adjectives? Give us some good descriptor words to describe what you like, what you want, what you hope for. Maybe we never get it. There's a good chance we may always hope for certain qualities and our leaders let us down. There is a litany of uh, examples of leaders letting us down in our country's history. But nevertheless, on this President's Day, curious to know, what are the traits that you value the most or the most valuable characteristic that you want in a president? 414-799-1620 on the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Believe it or not, there is no right or wrong answer to this. There isn't. <laughs> I promise. 414-799-1620. We'll uh, chat through that over the next couple of minutes. But first, let's uh, send it right back over to Eric. WTMJ, Good Karma Brands, and Versity Blood Center of Wisconsin need your help. For the Good Karma Blood Drive at the Milwaukee County Zoo, February 26th, 26th, stop by from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Give blood, save a life. There'll be food, plenty of parking spots if you're a donor. Plus, you'll also go home with a mystery bag and a ticket to a Brewers game. For more info, go to WTMJ.com or text the word blood, B-L-O-O-D, 414-799-1620. have a couple of minutes left here this afternoon. Jeff is off. He'll be off all this week. Um, with Eric, I'm Scott. We'll be here tomorrow as well. Then uh, Jerry Bader was with you from noon to 3, Wednesday to Friday. It's President's Day. I'm just curious, what are the attributes of a president that you appreciate? There you go. One of the real... I, I remember, was it uh, President Obama or President uh, uh, W.? Bush, who said that is one thing that he has to get used to, is the fact that now when he walks into a room, he no longer hears this play. <laughs> he said, I don't remember, maybe it was both of them who said, that is one of the adjustments I have had to make, is the fact that... Uh, the eerie I silence. I don't hear that. You just walk in and <laughs> the, nothing. the band doesn't play. I don't know. As I said, there, there, there's no wrong answer here, so just uh, weigh in. 414-799-1620. What's the, what's the trait that you most wish upon the president, and why? Russell in Brookfield, you're up first. 
Hi, Russell. You're on WTMJ. You mentioned the president. Charisma. Char- tell me why yeah. you like charisma out of a... Because it, it, it holds an audience. If you've ever been to any kind of lecture anywhere on anything, a school teacher, whatever, those that have charisma get attention. I mean, you don't have to start, you know, juggle bowling pins or something, but you have to have attention and you have to have a little charisma. George Sr. had some, had enough, but George Jr. was just, he was, I mean, he's a nice guy. You wouldn't want, you'd like him to marry your sister, but he was just, uh, but he just didn't have any charisma. He couldn't hold an audience in an in auditorium. But can't so, you make uh, the argument, Russell, that it's better if you can juggle bowling balls? Like, you know, the, the charisma aspect is actually almost more of a facade than actually what you're doing. Well, you can, have, well, you, you can be genuinely charismatic. I want, juggle, oh, yeah, I want, I want be, bowling balls yeah. being juggled. <laughs> Who was the most well, charismatic I, president that uh, you've ever uh, seen, Russell, in your life? Reagan or, Reagan or Kennedy, one or the other. Okay. Uh, and Jimmy Carter didn't have a pile of it either, but uh, um, but I think either Kennedy or I loved Reagan. I would I would die for Reagan. Mm. Yeah, Charisma. I mean, he was he was room. smart. He was smart coming into the room, and he held an audience, and he knew how to. I mean, he was an actor. He was, right. That he helped. knew how to uh, gain that attention. So, uh, but I believe he had it, and uh, a few others did. Charisma is a good one. Thanks for the call, Russell. Russell in Brookfield gets us started. You can weigh in at four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Do you have a favorite? A favorite, not a favorite trait, but a favorite president. Is there one that sticks out? I mean, everyone kind of goes to the Lincoln. You know, that's one of the, always the first ones. Oh, you're, oh, you're saying not just during my lifetime, but all yeah, time? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's a brutal question. Oh, I've always been very partial to Millard Fillmore. <laughs> Taft. Taft, you know what? Taft, <laughs> Fillmore. You know, uh, Teddy, though. Teddy Roosevelt, man. You talk about charisma. Yeah, well, yeah, he did everything, too. Conservationist. Uh, intimidator. Bull when moose. Had, when he had to be. Uh, this is a good one for those uh, folks who find it easier to text than call, but we want the calls as well at 414-799-1620. Um, integrity, uh, 262 says, uh, integrity, unfortunately, sounds like uh, this person is skeptical as to whether or not, well, no, integrity, unfortunately, will never happen again. It would be considered a weakness. Integrity hmm. as a weakness. I don't know about that. Uh, Jeff in Fox Point, frugal, wants a frugal president. (laughs) Now, frugal with his or her own money, I guess, would probably, you could could play that out and say, well, they're going to be pretty frugal when it comes to the the nation's finances. Jeff is the last guy thinking about the nation's debt, it sounds like. To that point, I saw a list earlier today of the 10 uh, poorest presidents. In terms of personal wealth? Uh, personal wealth. Harry Truman. I don't think that's too surprising. There's been enough stories about Harry Truman and his uh, all his little, uh, little, but all his smaller jobs he had along yeah. the way yeah. before he got to, to uh, the White House. But yeah, Harry Truman, I guess, uh, if you just look dollars and cents, was technically the poorest president. Uh, let's see. Honesty. Intelligence. Integrity again. Integrity again, all caps and exclamation points. How about Steve in Caledonia? Steve, what say you? What is the trait you want or appreciate most in a president? Well, I think uh, a good orator, someone who's good at public speaking. Okay. I think uh, that 
that trait is great because Lincoln had it, and uh, a lot of our good presidents had it. Uh, uh, Clinton was good at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Obama was good. Great at uh, it. And, and Reagan was awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, like he could give a speech like no other. You know, like you had a, our presidents, they, they sound articulate and intelligent, and uh I think that's important. And the perception of how bright they are and how they sound becomes reality. You 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 follow them because they sound intelligent. Right, and then and people follow what sounds right to them. So. Yeah, no, that, that, you know, it's interesting, Steve, you mentioned Lincoln. I watched, I rewatched uh, Lincoln this weekend, the movie, Daniel Day-Lewis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That came out, what, four, maybe five, six years ago or so. Oh, big wow, Academy man. Award winner in a lot of different categories. What, what, what struck me when I first saw that movie was the way that Daniel Day-Lewis plays Lincoln with that voice that wasn't all that strong at all and wasn't all that forceful a voice. And yet, I remember hearing about how uh, Lewis... They found some sort of recording. There was some device that had captured the voice, or it was a description of his voice. And it wasn't a four score and seven years ago, our forefathers. No, It, it, it it was kind of a thin, pitchy voice. That that didn't boom in a room. It, it 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 he did a great job of capturing that, and I think for a lot of people, it wasn't until they saw Daniel Day Lewis portraying Abraham Lincoln that people realized that's what Lincoln more likely than not mm-hmm. sounded like. Right. Well, they were able to express what they felt was right, and the and the path that the country should take. Yep. And people then followed that, and and would vote for them and, you know, agree with them, and then laws would be passed. Mm-hmm. There was a certain amount of eloquence. Thanks for the call, Steve. Lincoln was eloquent without having a forceful, commanding sound or tone to the voice. we got a couple minutes. We'll keep taking your calls and texts at 414-799-1620, Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The characteristic that you most admire or desire in your president. 245. Scott and Eric in for President Wagner on WDMJ. Happy President's Day, everybody. The trait that you most want in the leader of your country. Let's get in a couple of calls quickly here. Rich in Waukesha. What's yours, Rich? Mine is competent. Explain. Character is very competent. Competence, meaning I'm not looking for an eighth grader trying to take the job of a college graduate. Okay, yep, got to be competent for the position of president, no doubt about that. Nick in Krivitz, you're up. What say you? Good afternoon, gentlemen. Hey, Nick. The, the trait that I would look for in the 220 election, whether or not the candidate is simply capable of governing on my behalf. I don't care if the moniker is Democrat, Republican, Communist, whatever it might be. Well, I don't think we want a communist as president, Nick. We, I mean, I, mean Nick, I understand the point you're making, Nick, but I think yeah, you may have okay. crossed the line a little bit there when you say, I don't care if he's a communist. Then we may have an issue, Nick. 
I got your attention, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Good words. All right, thanks. All right, <laughs> anyway, Nick. Anyway, it's as simplistic and, and objective as that. So have a great day, See guys. See you, bud. Thanks. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. Uh, quickly, the text line, honesty, integrity, leadership, truthful, humble, honest, intelligent, educated, looking out for the good of the country, not their own personal agenda. Mike in Waukesha says, remember that speech where Reagan said, miss me when a balloon popped months after being shot? That's also what he said right when Nancy Reagan um, saw him in the uh, hospital. He said, I forgot to duck. Right. Is yeah, what he yeah, said. Yeah. I forgot to duck. Um, that leads to, to the attribute. And, and all, look, all the ones that you all have mentioned and called and texted, but I'm with you on those. The one I would add that we haven't, and maybe this is tied into charisma, a sense of humor. I, I find the, and that's kind of also tied to humility. The trait of humility is something that I just admire as one of my top traits in people in general, let alone the president of the United States. But I think humor and humility are tied together. If somebody has a sense of humor, they are often more likely than not to make jokes about themselves, poke fun at themselves. Self deprecating humor. Self deprecating humor. That means you, you know, you've got some humility running through your veins. But the sense of humor that a president can bring, I think, is is big. I think that's, look, I, I, I've I've admired that and still do in George W. Bush, mm -hmm. poking fun at himself for all his his uh, mispronounced words, Decider. yeah, <laughs> all his all his little uh, you know colloquialisms that uh, got him in trouble. Not even trouble, but you know what I mean. Got him made fun of by the mainstream media or from Saturday Night Live. He's willing to poke fun at himself. Reagan poked fun at himself. I mean, I think even Obama, to some extent, not as much as I personally would have liked, can poke fun at himself. I wish President, I wish President Trump would. And I understand that that I just don't think is part of his makeup. So how upset can you be he at the man? He does have an interesting sense of humor, though. And you, does he? It I, doesn't, I, I, it doesn't I wish he would play, show it more then. I it really doesn't do. play well. Or at least it's not. It's hard to see it or hear it. But mm -hmm. I think actually oftentimes when he's in front of large crowds, he's actually making some type of tongue-in-cheek comment. And it's just not received well. I don't think everyone... So picks... it's the delivery of the yeah, joke, yes, maybe, that, yes, that he struggles with. I... I, I I wish he would have more little maybe shots at himself just to soften it up a little bit. But I, again, I realize that that comes with the character of the person. Sure, the character of the person is 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 uh, long determined before the character of the president. Right, right, it's, right. It's one and the same, but. I just don't think he has that. Nonetheless, I, I, humor would be one. Sense of humor would be the trait that I look for, in addition to all the great ones that uh, you have sent in as well. It is 2.52. We will find out what uh, John and Melissa have on tap. Wisconsin's Afternoon News is just around the corner here on WTMJ.